0: I'm Russ White at the Network Collective and this is a Network Collective short take. In this short take, I'll be talking about IPv6 security considerations. (music) Deploying a new protocol should always be a good reason or a good time to look over your security posture. Specifically, you should be looking for the new set of attack surfaces that new protocol deployment is going to expose in your network. You should also be looking at the new vulnerabilities, but you should also be looking at the counters or the defenses for these attack surfaces and these vulnerabilities. How can you counter or commute these attack surfaces and vulnerabilities? IPv6 is no different than any other protocol. Of course, it's a new transport protocol. That means that any vulnerabilities and attack surfaces and countermeasures are going to need to be spread both across the data plane and the control plane in your network. But where do you begin looking for these attack surfaces, vulnerabilities, and countermeasures? Often it's a matter of finding some books or perhaps some online documentation or maybe it's just over the water cooler and through the rumor mill or through some slack channel you're on. Well, fortunately, in the case of IPv6, there is a draft out there that's been worked on for a very long time by a number of members of the Internet Engineering Task Force community. This is draft IETF OPSEC-V6. It's draft IETF, which means it's been accepted as a working group document, and it's OPSEC, which means it's part of the OPSEC operational security working group. And it's V6 because it's related to IPv6. This draft provides an overview of many of the places to look for operational security issues in IPv6, In some part, it is actually just a collection of links to other documents or references to other documents that you'll find very useful and very helpful in understanding the IPv6 security overview or the environment you're going to be living in in an IPv6 world. It also provides, in some cases, a set of solutions or proposed solutions for some of these attack surfaces and or vulnerabilities. Note that like all IETF drafts, the draft may not be applicable to your network or to all networks. That's okay. Reading an IETF draft is much like reading anything else. It's like eating a watermelon. You just eat the sweet parts and you have to spit out the seeds. However, this draft does provide an excellent guide to IPv6 security from an operational perspective. The draft begins with addressing considerations. Who owns the address space is something that not many operators really think about, whether it's provider assigned or whether it's provider independent. Who assign the address space can make a big difference. Why is this? Because the person who assigned the address space may or may not be responsible for mitigating, ba- mitigating certain kinds of attacks or mitigating certain times of certain ways of attacking the address space itself. This is not always true, but this is an area to begin looking who owns the address space can make a difference in who is responsible for mitigating certain kinds of attacks. The second thing they address in this te- in this text is the myth of IPv6 address space scanning. There are a lot of people out there who seem to believe that IPv6 address space is so big you cannot scan it effectively. This is some sort of a security by obscurity type of thing where you can actually build just a few hosts on a... Large address space subnet, and you'll get away without someone being able to discover where those hosts are. This is simply not true. There are mechanisms available to reduce the amount of work required to find an IP, a host with a particular IPv6 address within a block of addresses. These are well-documented. They're in the draft, which is another reason why it's quite useful. The scanning problems, then, are still an issue when assigning IPv6 addresses. Unique local addresses are another addressing realm where a lot of people don't think about security. It's also a very interesting topic that's covered in this draft. We think of these ULAs as special-use addresses confined to the network itself, but there are many ways in which An address which should be restricted within the network itself can be leaked out to the larger world, for instance, ICMP and other discovery mechanisms. So care must be taken to protect ULA addresses from being exposed to the outside world. Another interesting area this draft covers is point-to-point links with IPv6. The old recommendation when IPv6 first came out was to address every link, regardless of how many hosts were on the link, with a slash 64. This allowed Slack to work properly and allowed other ways of doing things that were kind of native to IPv6. The new recommendation in this draft, and it's pointed to in another draft, it points to another couple of drafts for why this is so, is to number point-to-point links with a slash 127. This prevents certain kinds of traffic flooding or denial-of-service attacks on a point-to-point link. Well, the draft says this is because of certain failed implementations or implementations with bugs in them. But the reality is these kinds of problems can exist. The kinds of problems these ping-pong attacks and denial-of-service attacks can occur on any link with a slash 64. It's better to address your links as a slash 127 and leave open the slash 64, in your addressing plan to make things consistent. Another thing the draft addresses is privacy extensions to slack or stateless auto configuration for IPv6 addresses now slack is a really really neat thing but there are trade-offs with slack if you are auto configuring addresses using slack it means that you cannot figure out what host has what IP address well in reality the way slack normally works is it pulls an IP address off of your MAC address there are privacy extensions for slack that allow the host to randomize the bottom 64 bits of its IPv6 address and just choose some random number. This is great for privacy because it means you cannot track a host as it attaches to different places in the network. But it's also really bad for auditing and for logging systems because it means that you cannot track a host regardless of where it attaches to the network. So a host can attach to the network, start some really malicious stream, and then detach and reattach someplace else and continue sending the same malicious stream, and you cannot correlate those two events because of Slack privacy. The draft actually talks about this a bit and talks about some mitigation possibilities. Extension headers are a major new attack surface in IPv6. This is an area most network engineers really don't think about because it's down at the transport level. It is impossible because of the way the extension headers are set up to find the next protocol in an IPv6 packet without parsing the entire header, including all the extension headers. Because of this, the order of the IPv6 headers actually matters. A stateful packet filtering device or any other device that does deep packet inspection must know how to handle headers in both their correct and incorrect order because there are devices out there that will emit a set of extension headers in the wrong order, or in fact, this may be an attack surface to ext- to send out packets with extension headers in the wrong order. Otherwise, it might be possible for information to be carried in the extension header that is not caught by a security-oriented device in the network. There are a couple of extension headers in IPv6 that are particularly problematic. For instance, the hop-by-hop header forces any device along a path to punt the packet to software-based switching path to be handled in some special way. This creates an opportunity for a denial-of-service attack. Just flood the network with with packets containing the hop-by-hop header, either from inside or outside the network. There is no way the devices along the path will be able to support high-bandwidth flows with this header in place in all of the packets. Fragment headers are another potential problem. They can only be created by the source host, not by any intermediate node, unlike IPv4. It is really important that all IPv6 devices discard initial fragments that do not contain an upper layer protocol header somewhere after all of the headers in the IPv6 packet. Link layer discovery protocol and neighbor discovery replace many of the operations of ARP and related protocols in IPv4. Hijacking the operation of one of these protocols can allow an attacker to act as a man in the middle or perform other attacks in the network. Hence, link level security is important to ensure the overall security of an IPv6 deployment. Again, something an average network engineer who's mostly familiar with IPv4 might not understand or realize when first doing an IPv6 deployment. It is also important to ensure there are no rogue DHCPv6 servers in the network. DHCPv6 does a lot more than assign addresses. It also assigns DNS servers and many other things. Each of these things in DHCPv6 are major attack surfaces. As noted before, neighbor discovery and router advertisements are important to the operation of an IPv6 network. Because of this, the ability to overwhelm these systems is a new and important attack surface. You can simply flood a link with just tons of full bandwidth of neighbor discovery or router advertisements and cause every device on the link to try to process switch all of that traffic. To prevent denial-of-service attacks against these systems, rate limiting should be applied to neighbor discovery and router advertisement. Filtering and Router Advertisement Guard, or RA Guard, should also be configured to prevent these systems from being attacked. Now, RA Guard is not perfect, as it's noted in this document, and there is current work going on to improve RA Guard to improve the ability of the network to withstand an attack against the router advertisement system. The routing security section of this document is largely best common practices and should be applied to all routing. But note there are trade offs here. For instance, the document suggests that all routing protocol adjacencies be protected with some form of basic authentication, like MD5. While this can prevent attackers from sending routes into the network, it also opens yet another attack surface. It's been shown in the lab, if you want to try this yourself, you can throw just a small number of MD5 packets or MD5 signed packets at a router with an incorrect signature and this will cause the router to overload its processor and potentially take the routing protocol system down. Using passive interface where possible on the edge of the network is a good strategy to close large parts of this attack surface. Route filtering, logging, and other techniques are also covered in this document. The section on transition technologies and the kinds of filtering recommended when using each one is actually very very helpful as well. Overall, this is a good document to add both to your reading and reference list when considering an IPv6 deployment. Remember, when you deploy IPv6, you're deploying a lot of new attack surfaces and vulnerabilities in your network, and you really need to think about how to counter those problems before they cause an issue or a data breach of some type in your network. So that's it for this time. Visit us at thenetworkcollective.com for more content that will help you build your cognitive and metacognitive skills as a network engineer. While you are there, check out our membership, which unlocks even more great content, as well as access to an awesome community of network engineers. And remember, you can always find me at rule11.tech. Thanks.